welcome to HDO Football Listeners. Pleasure to be back on the show alongside my co-host Tom Whitford. How are you, Tom? Are you well this week? I'm very well, very well. Christmas is nearly upon us, so we're talking about all good things. Well, it's all good things, stocking fillers in terms of nostalgia and memorabilia, but I think, yeah, it's really nice chat lined up um, this week, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, good vibes all round. Football fans are back as well uh, for Absolutely. an early, early Christmas treat. Um, I was so strange watching that, but yeah. Yeah, but no, great stuff to have them back. Uh, makes you realise, don't they? There's someone said last night, it's about um, fans are fans are everything and the players are just there for a short term to just jump in and enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I've actually really missed going. I mean, and seeing the game last night, midweek game, actually, in a way, often they're dull, especially as an Arsenal fan. But I've missed them almost more than a weekend game because, you know, normally I'd be finished from work, I'd leave the office mm. and be heading to Arsenal, a couple mm. of drinks and just watch the game and it'd be mm. really fun. But yeah, we've missed that. I wasn't in the stadium um, yesterday, but uh, yeah, many, hopefully many more matches for lots of football fans up and down the country in 2021. Yeah, definitely. So for our, for our listeners, if you've been keeping a close eye on our Twitter page lately, we've been running a HTO World Cup of 90 strikers and what way to celebrate, but to be joined by the amazing Twitter account creator at 90s Football, Paddy. Paddy, are you well? Welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. You've been enjoying the last few weeks, hopefully as much as we have. Um, it's been a bit of an interesting one, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been good. There's been uh, plenty of uh, twists along along the way. Yeah. How, what have you, in terms of, we'll, we'll go into the details in a minute, but in terms of the your general view of how it panned out, sort of expected? Um, pretty much, other than uh, one in the final eight, which uh, I certainly didn't agree with. Uh, the other seven were pretty much spawned for me. Yeah, well, just to defend ourselves, Tommy, as well. They were it was it was our fans that were polling, not we weren't voting. So. <laughs> we weren't voting. We weren't voting. No, no, we weren't. No, we weren't there. So we we created uh, eight groups of four strikers from the nineties that we felt that I guess were were justified in terms of their their career in that decade and the clubs they played for and what they'd achieved. Um, and we came down with a final eight um, that were, were the winners of those groups. Um, we had uh, Romario, uh, Ronaldo. Batistuta, Shearer, Raul, uh, Shevchenko, um, Badger, if I mentioned Badger already, um, and Dennis Burkamp as well. I mean, out of those first quarterfinals, Paddy, Romario up against Shevchenko, Romario won at a landslide. Are you in agreement with that? Um, definitely, yeah, for me. Uh, well, Romario was certainly uh, 90s, a lot more than uh, Shevchenko, but... Um... In terms of his career in the nineties, you know, you got to look at um, USA '94 and uh, how good he was there. Mm. Yeah, that that, that, that toe poke finish with the right foot is just the classic, isn't it? The classic Romario goal. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a good point you raised about like the more nineties than Shevchenko. Uh, there were obviously it's very difficult. So some some strikers actually quite like Romario, almost bookended a decade properly. Um, whereas obviously the vast majority of players kind of slip across too. Because just the, just the nature of careers, as opposed to um, uh, bookending, uh, you know, a decade properly. Um, but so there was a few omissions. I know that some fans would have thought, oh, why, why weren't they in there? And a couple that you'd think maybe more of the 2000s, like Shevchenko. But we did try and capture a people whose either their main decade would be remembered as the 90s, um, and or at least played uh, three full seasons um, in the decade um, as a striker, essentially. So that was the criteria. Uh, for people out there who are wondering why some were missing and or some were included. Um, but yeah, that was the first quarter then. You mentioned a minute ago, Paddy, actually, there was one name that 
um, is it that didn't make the final eight or the group stages in general? Did we miss someone completely? Um, I mean, for the final eight, I'd love to have seen uh, George Way in the, in the final eight. Okay. Um, probably in place of uh, Shevchenko, but um, or maybe may possibly Raul. Um, mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, but I, th I think. Uh, people in really got his spot on to be fair yeah George Ware is a very like, cult hero isn't he as well I was surprised actually that he didn't didn't do didn't perform well in the group stages no I mean he's, he's got some uh he's, he's brilliant for a high, for a highlight reel he's got some great goals yeah definitely um, but, but there you go. Pitch ones. yeah yeah and then we had a big we had a, well we had a big big quarterfinal showdown um with Dennis Burkamp against Roberto Baggio I mean we were excited about when that dropped because two fantastic footballers um similar in some ways um, in terms of you know the magician element to both of them, um, Burkamp, arguably maybe a number ten, I guess in his best days, um, although quite a central striker um, early on with his days at sort of Ajax and at Inter. Um, the uh, Burkamp nicked that one, Paddy. Um, were you a little bit upset at one of the Baggio cult fans out there, or? Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was very intrigued when I saw that group come up because they're they're pretty, pretty, pretty similar. Um, to be mm. fair, in, in my opinion, of uh, of how they did in their their careers, but I, I mentioned uh, highlight reels for for George Way, but Burkamp's is, uh, is is amazing. I mean, obviously, Twitter's got a limit of uh, two minutes twenty seconds. But it's just just not enough for Burkamp. <laughs> Could watch watch him play play all day long. So <clears> I was very I was very pleased to see see Burkamp there, but. He, even for Baggio, the the way he uh, finished his goals is such a such a good good watch when you watch back. Yeah. Um, but but like I said, um, for for for, Bar for Burkamp, I did a uh, a little tribute for his birthday. Of uh, I, I, I set out to do uh, t ten goals of his greatest goals for a little tribute, but I I, I just couldn't choose ten. Mm -hmm. And and I think for, for that just says everything about what a great player he was. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. People talk about great goal scorers or scorers of great goals, and he probably does slip into the latter. Like, you know, he's not going to be a prolific 30 goal, 35 goal a year kind of striker, Dennis Bergkamp. But you look at that highlight reel, and when he scored a goal, they all seem to be quality. You know, there's not many scuffs in the six yard box with Dennis Bergkamp, is there? But, you know, they're all a touch, the top corner or a finesse, curled finish. It's, it's, mm. it's, it's brilliant to watch, um, which is quite at odds, really, probably with the strikers in, our, in the next quarterfinal, though, um, really. Yeah, somewhat. Yeah, well, Alan Shearer. I was glad. Oh, well, firstly, I was. I was just glad that Sir Alan made it into the uh, quarterfinals. I was a little bit worried that he wouldn't be getting the votes, but um, he he did okay up against um our finalist Gabriel Batistuta. I mean, Batistuta brings you know a catalogue of bullet finishes, doesn't he? What an absolutely deadly striker. Um, who obviously went on to to make the final, but uh, spoiler alert. But um. Yeah, I'm glad. I was glad Shearer, Shearer was in there, um, but not really. I wouldn't say good enough, or maybe did it a high enough level to compete with Batistuta, Paddy. I think it's more that, in my opinion, anyway. I think early Shearer in the early '90s was so prolific. Again, before a couple of injuries himself, he was going at such a lick of like you know nearly a goal a game. Like he was just phenomenal at those Southampton days before he got his move. Um, but like you say, obviously probably didn't aid it on the international stage of England in, in a big way, but also but in, in European competition, unlike Batistuta, I guess. I mean, yeah, for, for me, uh, Alan Shearer was my uh, childhood hero. Um, so it was very, it was very nice to see him in the final eight, but um, I, I guess he, he didn't have the 
global appeal, as yeah. uh, Barry Stewart said. As like, like you said, he wasn't very for perhaps e easy to watch for a global audience, uh, given that he wasn't featuring in the Champions League, and uh, and I guess he never really hit the the formula wanted for for England as well. So. Um, so yeah, I mean, Barry Stewart all, all the way. I think there was no no doubt there from me. Amazing if 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 Shearer had gone gone to obviously before he went to Newcastle, obviously Man United wanted him, and it, it, it's funny to think what could have happened if he'd gone there. Obviously, Man United probably the only prevalent team in for England in the in European Cup in the in the latter nineties. Um, really, um, yeah, could have been a different story in terms of his that global mass appeal. But yeah, I think that's just was. I think that um, that quarterfinal as well. I think that brought back a lot of memories of another quarterfinal. I think was it in 1998? You know, in, um, in was it in France between the t England and Argentina? Um, and they both scored that day, I, th I believe. I think from the penalty spot for both of them, maybe. Um, I'm yeah. sure Batistuta scored a penalty, definitely against Seaman. Yeah, but sure. I, th and I think I think Shearer scored. I yeah. think he did. Yeah, um, but obviously that. Game is remembered for obviously yeah. Owen's goal and Beckham sending off, isn't it? Because and Argentina's amazing free kick as well. Yeah, well the little routine, the little routine. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, um, and then heading into our last quarter final, I mean, there was a part of us that thought, is there any point posting this one really? <laughs> <laughs> um, between Ronaldo and Raúl, bless him, like former Real Madrid teammates, but um, Ronaldo didn't show any uh, friendship there, did he? It was a, it was an absolute whitewash. I mean, what can you what can you say about Ronaldo? He he was certainly in in his prime in, in the mid nineties, and what a, what a player he was. Um, as good as Raúl was, like I said, there was absolutely no chance, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, Raúl was um, interesting when they were both playing at Real Madrid. I mean, it was almost both of them were past their prime. I think when they were when they were at Madrid together, maybe yeah. that's a bit harsh. I don't know, but I think, you know, certainly Ronaldo was. Um, and, um, and then that, and that fed into the semi-finals where we thought, well, the draw was, it kept, it kept um, Batistuta and Ronaldo apart. And then the, we had the Brazilians that were up against each other with Romario and, and Ronaldo. I mean, online on Twitter, Paddy, there was a lot of outrage um, when that's Romario was drawn with Ronaldo. <laughs> you could argue that's the final, and but it's just the way the, the way the draw came out. Rumbles, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's uh, to be fair, it's it's tight between all four. I, th I think easily any of them could have been alongside Ronaldo in in, in the final. They were that good. Um, so I guess just there was one un unlucky person who had to uh, take one for the for the team, really. Yeah, I mean, there was all the um, you said all the flamenco fans are out in their droves. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of them. <laughs> passionate uh, fans, uh, should yeah. we say? Yeah, it, it was no. To be fair, I mean, looking back, I mean, one of the first videos that I ever, I think, ever watched actually VHS back in the day was the 1994 World Cup in America, and I remember watching that as a child. I was probably about six at the time, six or seven at the time, and. Um, couple of players stood out just as a, like watching Romario with those finishes with that the toe poke finish um, and Baggio was outstanding in that World Cup um, obviously goes on to put one over the bar in the final but um, Rudy Vola for some reason just stuck in the mind from that tournament as well um, uh, Georgie Hadji I, I, I actually really loved the uh, 94 World Cup in America actually it was like I know England weren't involved but it just it was like the first one I remember Georgie Hadji sort of a football manager championship manager yeah. And FIFA dream signing, Georgie Hadji as well. That's that's a '90s in a nutshell, right there. Absolutely. 
I've got a lot of uh, Galatasaray fans who would certainly agree with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then in, in the other semi-final, Burkamp against Batistuta. So um, this was fairly close, which I thought it would be. Um, but again, I think Batistuta. There's not many players I think that have that long-lasting kind of nostalgic, sort of magnetic. Uh, you know, with with fans over the years, Batistuta is one of them. We've got like Batty goal and. Um, when you see those goals that he scored against, you know, United at Old Trafford and uh, the goal at Wembley against Arsenal. But I think, I guess it's for English fans as well. We obviously remember those moments. Um, and uh, I was there that night actually at Wembley when he banged that past um, Seaman, who maybe went down too early in my opinion. But um, it's still, it was, it was, it was a very batty goal strike, wasn't it? He hit the ball with such ferocity. I mean, I think someone, you put up a, a clip of him the other day, Paddy, and, um, like I couldn't believe how I just forgot how hard he used to hit the ball. Yeah, there's a great great clip of him uh, scoring an indirect free kick from uh, within the box, and pff, no chance, <laughs> absolutely really? no chance. Is that what for Fiorentina or? Uh, I believe it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, some some of those goals that he scored in Serie A was obviously he led Fiorentina to a Coppa Italia, didn't he? From um, when when he joined from uh, I think from Boca. Um, I didn't realise he was at River Plate as well and Boca. I didn't realise he'd, he'd done the, the cardinal sin. So, somewhat underachieved a little bit though in Europe yeah, just in terms yeah, of that, that, that trophy hall. Yeah. And I think that's what is really interesting. And you know, you could argue, although Dennis obviously picked up two or three league titles at Arsenal, um, you know, you're still talking about two phenomenal 90 strikers, but don't have the the wealth of trophies that go with your superstar um, all-time strikers that Ronaldo would have or something like that and I think that that bears out in people's memory but I think that sometimes adds to their cult nature as well as you know a little bit is that actually as an individual they're almost celebrated more than their trophy cabinet would suggest and, uh, and I think that that bears out with those two um, um, certainly anyway mm. and the other I think the other the other semi was was equally always going to be go the way of Ronaldo as as we kind of I think look, the, the, the beauty for Andrew and I when we were discussing putting, putting the World Cup together of these 90 strikers is that actually even though we all kind of suspected who was going to win and, and let's beat not beat around the bush probably rightly so it, it's such a great era for so many fantastic strikers that actually there's still some great conversations there but I guess I guess therefore that uh, neither of you were very surprised with the way in which the final would therefore go um, from my side, yeah, like I said, from from the beginning, it was uh, pretty obvious who was going to to win. Um, I think it was more of who was he was going to beat in the final was more more the interesting uh, yeah. the point from my side. Um, but but yeah, a worthy winner without a doubt. Yeah, it's a bit like a Premier League title race that's got one winner, but you're just interested to see who makes the top four sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where 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 does um we were talking about um, Batistuta the other day and how obviously Argentina, we've, we've got a plethora of talented Argentinian strikers all, you know, with Messi leading the front and then you've got people like Aguero as well. And where, where does Batistuta rank for you, Paddy, in terms of great strikers along the years, even maybe Argentinian if we wanted to be more focused? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously Messi certainly on a, a different level um, to anyone else um but but he certainly he's certainly up there um 
just 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 the way he played was uh, just un- unstoppable at times. Yeah. Um, obviously, we, we I was quite uh, I saw him play quite a lot because of uh, footballers football Italia in the nineties uh, and the same thing with Ronaldo. Um, so I'd, we had quite a lot of exposure. Right. And was English English fans, so we were able to yeah to watch them. Like perhaps we weren't able to watch uh, all, all the strikers, maybe like Romario, because the way his his career went in the late later nineties. So. I guess uh, from a nostalgia point as well, because we got to watch them so often, you know, every every, every, every weekend because of uh, shows like Football Italia, maybe we remember them slightly more fonder uh, than yeah. than other players. But but yeah, but in terms of himself as a as a as player, I mean, there's, there's few others that you'd like as your number nine, other than the uh, obvious mm. one we've uh, discussed. Yeah, I think with these with these cult heroes as well, sometimes it's more visually what they offer to like a, a short clip or something like with the long hair and the screaming celebrations that you used to offer. And I always think of someone like Giorgio Chiellini at Juve, you know, he's, he's very cult, isn't he? And when he sort of pumps the chest and roars to the fans, I think that it's it's those actions and behaviours, isn't it, sometimes that we, we gravitate towards because maybe we miss that. Yeah, I mean, it's just great to see passion. I mean, mm. and it's just fantastic to see players as well that just look like they're they're loving playing football. Mm. It's as sim- simple as that. Um, mm. Just just seeing clips that they they look like they are lo- loving life is is fantastic. Um, it's just effortless as well for to watch. Yeah, I was reading a bit of an article the other day on Batistuta, and some of his quotes were saying that he feels sort of slightly undervalued actually now as an ex-player when he sort of tries to give maybe advice or comments on the Argentinian national side. Um, and um, that's a, that's a bit of a shame, really, because yeah, he sort of to me in my eyes, he's down as one of their greats. Even though, as Tom mentioned earlier, you can see why he's not, shall we say, elite with a capital E. You know, no, and you're probably talking about obviously a country there that which if if anyone draws up the five greatest players of all time, you know, you've probably got two Argentinians in that list. You know, so and that's if you're asking anyone, you know, so the reality is, you know, no matter how good a player you may have been for your country, mm. when your competition is of that ilk, then you're always going to struggle. And I think, again, there's a bit similar to our World Cup. You know, these these great strikers, it's not that they weren't great unto their own abilities and capabilities and successes, but they're just going up against arguably the greatest out and out striker of all time. And, you know, in, in, in our nine. So I think that I think, you know, we've got to always look at these players as you know, in their own context, as opposed to necessarily comparing them, which I know is the nature of a head-to-head tournament, such as a World Cup and such as a knockout tournament, is, is to compare mm-hmm. them directly. But equally, we're talking about an era of just such fantastic strikers and such fantastic players. And um, But also, I just think of a great era, like you said, there's the, the 94 World Cup. Obviously, lots of people remember the 98 World Cup is one of the best ever as well. Lots of people always refer to it as such. Um, you know, there's players like Suka didn't get out of the, the group stage in this World Cup, and yet what he was top scorer in that World Cup. You know, classic '90s strikers right there. Stoichkov early doors, early '90s phenomenal striker again. Not didn't get out of his group. So it's just a, it's a great era stacked with some from some fantastic players. Um, speaking of the great era, Paddy, obviously you you do own and run a '90s football um, page website and 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 mecca for all things uh, '90s memorabilia. And what what sort of what came first, the love for the '90s, and then all your Corinthian figures and power pods and stuff like that, or was it the other way around, or was it just born together? Where did it all start? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. In terms of Corinthian figures, um, my uh, mum would made me a birthday cake as, as a child, and we, and we seen these figures in Woolworths, um, and she was like, 
go get yourself a striker and a, and a goalkeeper and we'll put them on the on the cake. So obviously Shearer, my childhood hero, was was the first and uh, Neville Southall was the uh, the goalkeeper. Um, and, and it all started from there in terms of the figures. But to be fair, as a, as a kid, I collected pretty much anything. You know, your, your Merlin stickers, your football pogs, your, your football marbles they had. Anything 90s, I, I, it's pretty safe to say that I uh, collected it. I just, uh, I just, I just loved it really. So when, when it came to uh, thinking of, I guess, starting a, a Twitter account, there was only one thing for me personally. Nice. My my, my abiding 90s memorabilia piece is, um, do you remember the, the 98 World Cup and the England had these coins out? And these like silver coins in this, 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 the amount of Andy Hinchcliffe's I used to get were phenomenal. I think about about fifteen Andy Hinchcliffe's before I finished my uh, my coin collection for that for that squad. But yeah, just uh, it's such a great era for being stacked. We, we all we all dream of a team of Andy Hinchcliffe's, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so yeah, no, I loved it. You know, mind you, it's a strong punchy game with Neville Southall and Alan Shearer, and just working out the rest of the team later. That's a, manager's, that's a manager mentality there. Got a good goalkeeper, get the striker, we'll work out the rest of the team yeah. later. It's weird, though, because we were talking about this before we came on to, the, on to air, um, Paddy, about if you were to create a World Cup of strikers that would sort of appeal to the sort of wide audience, you'd go for that decade, wouldn't you? We were sort of thinking of other decades. You think mm, maybe the maybe the thousands or maybe even the uh, the 70s. But 90s just seems to... I wonder if it's because, I don't your thoughts on this, is as... As TV evolved, you know, as as the, the internet has kind of boomed, I wonder if it's the decade where it just captures that kind of rose tintedness about it. I think so. Yeah, I, I guess uh, the last ten or fifteen years have been so dominated as well by two mm. um, forwards. The, the rest and I just seen as so far apart from those. Um, it, it's difficult for them, um, but I guess there was much of not necessarily more of a level playing field, um, but mm. it cer- certainly seems like there was a lot more quality uh, forwards back in the 90s. And mm. and like uh, like I said, with F- Football Italia and it, it being a lot more easy to watch TV, you know, it's a lot more easier to see your your heroes uh, on, on TV. I think um, it's certainly something that I, I look back in, in fondness um and, and a lot of people seem to as well the 90s um so so yeah in terms of strikers i mean you just got to look at some of the people that didn't make the final the 32 for the mm-hmm. the quality yeah like a uh, uh papin sneaked in at some point <laughs> I, think, I think i think we might we must have had someone pull out for injury or something i don't know it was just like last minute call up or um, yeah, it was, it was difficult to get a good spread of not only names and players, but sort of country, country representation as well. Um, mm. And not necessarily the country of the individuals, but the, the leagues and, and, the, and the areas that they played in. Um, mm. Obviously, you know, there's some great strikers in the 90s for the Premier League. But the reality is, as, as I alluded to earlier, like the Premier League wasn't a huge league, certainly in the early and mid 90s. You know, a lot of the top players were obviously mm. playing in Italy at the time. Yeah, and yeah. it's, it's the sort of, you know, started to dominate, you know, European football. And so, other than Alan, didn't really get a look in. Whereas, you know, there's, there's a plethora in the, of, of strikers across across the globe playing their trade in, in such success. Yeah. Um. Why Why do you think um your 
obsession with these Corinthian figures is also so widely felt by so many people. Because how many did you say you, you, you told us before you came on air? You got how many? Two, over 2,000, 3,000, something like that? Uh, yeah, probably double that. <laughs> if, if, uh... Double that. That's just insane. That's just madness. Um, yeah, you, you, you could say that. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've always been loved, loved by people. From when they were they were first first released, they were they were pretty pretty big. I mean, yeah. um, in the in the two thousands, they did uh, conventions every single year at Villa Park, and they were they were, you know, pretty uh, you know well well filled, shall we say, of uh, people just just loving Corinthian figures. Um, but I, th- I think really it was it was the first proper time where you could you could hold your favourite players in your hand and re redo goals, you know, re do matches and that kind of thing. Um, because you, with uh, with stickers and all that kind of stuff, you, you couldn't you know redo goals and that kind of stuff. But but you could yeah. with these; it was much much easier. So I think I think that's yeah. why they were they were loved and. It's a still kind of niche today. point, isn't it? Between it's not it's not quite a toy, but equally it's not just like you said a picture. It's not a sticker in an album that you put away forever. It can be on your mantelpiece. Yet equally, it's something physical. It's something real. It's something tangible. So mm-hmm. I think basically, basically what I'm saying there is it appeals to children, but also adults at the time. So you can have collectors interested in in the models, but equally kids because you could almost play with them as toys, recreate goals like you said, and do 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 the like. So I think yeah, just a big mass appeal. Although that said, I still used to collect the sticker book every year and go to like the swap shops, make sure I complete them. And even now, I have to say, I'm into my 30s. I'm, you know, I still always get the World Cups to crowd. So the last two or three World Cups I've got finished, stuck away, Panini sticker book of the World Cups. I'll keep them forever in a day, because, but I'm probably just a bit beyond doing every every Premier League season. Yeah, to be fair, I'm exactly the same. Uh, the uh, 2014 World Cup was my first to go, you know, to, re- to re- restart collecting. And I've... Uh, done the uh each euros and world cup since then um so yeah, it's nice yeah. yeah gotta be done gotta be done mm. well talking of uh best uh you know best sticker books and best memorabilia we're gonna kick off with our counter-attack challenge on a hto paddy so some quick fire questions some of them may be more familiar to than others so um <laughs> sit tight and we'll, we'll alternate between these tom do you want to kick off yeah, sure. And and we stay best, obviously, a bit like the strike, a bit like the World Cup. All of these are personal opinions. So no one hold Paddy and or 90s football and or HTO football ransom to these names. They are our own personal opinions because that's the great thing about football debate. So what do you reckon? What's your favourite or the best 90s kit? Um, for me, it was the japan goalkeeper shirt from france 98 uh, worn by kawaguchi the uh, the black one with the red flames red oh, nice red yellow flames nice. it was great every shirt. skater boy's eight-year-old basically t-shirt right there on a football shirt absolutely great shot yeah that's a brilliant shout best 90s player hairstyle See, this is difficult i mean it's it's uh, between Toribio west and uh, valderrama isn't it um, but but for me, uh, I think due to the the, the the time it must have took, uh, it's got to be Trubo Trubo West. Mm. Nice, nice. I mean, you've got you know you can't not not touch on Beck's and the curtains and the Brill Cream because it kind of you know that also signifies a whole decade. You, you did say like, best though, Tom. <laughs> yeah, not yeah. I'm not saying best, but in terms of just iconic, like I, I, how many kids were walking around with curtains in the late eighties? So late late nineties. You that's you know that was phenomenal as well. But yeah, absolutely. Um, what about 
oh, this is impossible, but we're still going to ask it. The best goal scored in the 90s. Um, yeah, in, in terms of my personal favourite, um, it was uh, Maro Brazen's bicycle kick uh, for Fiorentina against Barca in the uh, 99 Champions League. Um, especially because he was he was far from a natural goal scorer. So to be scoring uh, bicycle kicks against Barca is unbelievable. Um, but yeah, we, we actually ran a, uh, a greatest goal um, to a Twitter poll, uh, like like uh, like you did, um, and it was uh, Roberto Carlos against uh, France that came out on top for that, mm, yeah. which is also, yeah. of course, a worthy worthy winner. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, it's yeah. iconic, isn't it? Exactly. And you could slightly say, but the, but then what happened is for the rest of his career, everyone said, "Oh, Roberto Carlos is good at free kicks," and he wasn't. He wasn't. Not really. <laughs> like in terms of ratio and all that kind of stuff, it was not good. But that was obviously such an iconic, phenomenal strike. Absolutely. Yeah. Then we've got. Best nineties football boot. I mean, yeah. Sadly for me, my footballing footballing ability it didn't really matter which view I was wearing. Uh, I was still <laughs> pretty average. Um, but I, I always dreamed of owning a pair of uh, Puma Kings. Yeah. They were a, a great looking boot. Yeah, I'll shamely admit, actually, I, I owned a yellow pair. Of uh, Puma Kings, I had like a lime green Puma cells, like early nineties. They were just you know school football stuff. Um, Yeah, I know. Obviously, you got the Predators as well. You just got so many cool boots in the nineties. Some of our some of our best goals were scored in those Puma Kings, actually. Yeah, that's true. Um, What about what about the the best nineties football ball? I mean, for me, it's got to be the classic uh, Mitre Ultimax. Um, Ultimax, it's an absolute classic. Even when it came to like the, the Sabutio balls, I don't know if you were a big yeah, fan of Sabutio yeah. in the nineties, but they replicated that, and it was yeah, fantastic ball. Mm, great choice. Nice. Um, right, okay. So you're an Orange fan, Paddy. Heard for the grapevine. So we're going to go for Norwich to bounce back into the Premiership and sorry, Premier League. I've got done by, the, done by that before. <laughs> Premier League bounce back and win the Premier League in a couple of seasons' time, or England to win the World Cup? Um, I'd have to go Norwich, I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm blaming with, 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 without a doubt. My, uh, well, over especially, especially as it's Norwich. Imagine now in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be done, isn't it? Okay, so and the last, we'll finish up with a classic question we like to have on the, on the pod, is you, you've got three guests, COVID rules permitting, in a non-COVID world, three guests coming to dinner from the 90s football world, who would you want to come round to brain pick from the 90s? Can have anyone you like involved with football? Oh, that's, a, that's a great question. I think you, you really want people with uh, just phenomenal stories, don't you? Someone that's uh, seen it all. Um, I think uh, I'll, I'll go with first one. I'll go for Roy Keane. I think you just uh, say it like it is, obviously, as we've all heard before on the, uh, while watching him. Um, I think he did give some very honest viewpoints of uh, the 90s and the situations in the 90s. Um, the second one, it's going to be uh, another United, but Eric Cantona. Imagine uh, the stories that Eric yeah, Cantona nice. could been a popular choice, to be fair, to the yeah, yeah we, Cantona choice. and Gaza, people like that crop up, crop up and you can't blame people because, yeah, great stories I imagine he'd have. Absolutely. And then as a as a third, 
you know what? I'll go for a proper a proper curveball, but Jimmy Glass. I would love to hear his take on scoring a goal to save a club from relegation, yeah. being a goalkeeper. Yeah. No, nice, nice, the, nice. The dream. Yeah. That one. yeah, and he's going to enjoy the company of Cantona and Roy Keane as well. You'll be getting signatures there, won't he? So just, just to finish up, Paddy, obviously you're supporting our Willow fundraiser through this month, um, but giving giving away one of your 90s mugs, which is, we're very grateful for that. It's much appreciated. Yeah, appreciated. It, it really, right. really, um, so the support that we're offering to the Willow Foundation this month, you can check out our links on our Twitter pages for the Just Giving page. But um, yeah, just a humbling experience really to to sort of support such a wonderful charity. Um, Absolutely. If you don't know them, please check them out. Willow Foundation, founded by... Bob and Megs Wilson. Bob Wilson, obviously, ex-Arsenal legend. Um, they work with seriously young adults, ill young adults across the UK, um, doing fantastic work there. Um, Paddy, though, thank you very much for coming on. I think Andrew and I um, we were both born, in the, both born in the 80s, but obviously grew up in the 90s. And so a lot of what your account does, 90s football, um, it brings a lot of joy to us. It brings a lot of joy to all your followers. So please continue the good work. And yeah, thanks very much for coming on. That's quite all right. Thank you for having me. Not Thanks, at all. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Well, we're going to hit into the changing room now for a bit of a debrief on that Football World Cup episode with 90s football. Joining us is the Athletics' Michael Cox, author of Zonal Marking. How are you, Michael? Are you well? Hi, Tom. Yeah, very well. Looking forward to, well, as we're recording this, looking forward to the North London derby later. And fans back in the grounds has been quite entertaining uh so yeah all good yeah. well i don't know if I, I don't know if i'm looking forward to the derby um as an arsenal fan it's been a sort of a turbulent few weeks we'll see we'll see how that goes we'll see how that goes I, i'm actually for once it's probably a, a one with a little bit of pressure off i'm not sure many people expecting uh, expecting an arsenal result so I'll, as nervous as i'll get i'm sure because i just always do it's actually a bit of a free hit but we'll see how that goes mm. yeah we need one of our main strikers to be banging some goals today for a change, don't we? Talk, talking of strikers, obviously, we've been talking to 90s football, uh, Michael, about our Twitter polling World Cup that we ran. Um, the final four, we'll go straight with the final four we'll, when we, before we get to our final and then our chat about the role, really. Um, we, fin- we had a semi-final clash between Ronaldo and Romario, um, which Ronaldo won at a landslide, which... We thought would happen. I mean, Ronaldo went on to win the competition really um, against Batistuta in the final, who who beat Burkamp in the other semi final. Um, so four very different strikers. Um, firstly, your thoughts just g- generically on that Ronaldo winning winning it is that a is that a, an obvious an obvious pick from the nineties? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, <clears throat> I guess the funny thing is he only he only probably had two real years in the nineties where he was absolutely on that level. You know, obviously the Barcelona season and the Inter season. Again, you know, he was he was great by all uh, you know by all reports at PSV, but probably most people didn't really see that. I mean, I think the interesting thing with Ronaldo is, you know, when you you go to a game and you get the program, and they always have like interviews with youth players or, or whatever who are maybe seventeen, eighteen, and they always say, "Who did you look up to growing up?" And quite a lot of them, even now, say Ronaldo. Which, if you're seventeen or eighteen. You weren't around to see him, certainly not at his best, mm. you know, it, 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 not even in the flesh, but watching him week in, week out. But he's had just such a kind of long term impact. And I think he's one of those players who, you know, not saying he was a YouTube player, but 
his collection of moments, you know, in a kind of compilation video, mm. just look fantastic. So yeah, I think his his legacy is certainly the strongest of, of those four. Um, but he had a you know a funny career, peaked probably very early at Barcelona, I would say, mm. and um, and obviously did it at World Cups on a, on a relatively consistent basis. Well, certainly two, he was excellent. He had a funny career. I mean, he was banging in the goals at Real Madrid, but I often still felt he wasn't quite the player he was at Barcelona. So, yeah, I can't, I can't argue with the uh, with the result in the end. I guess, a, I guess, a, a terrible injury as well. Yeah, that that, that was to, to to blame for that. I guess that that sort of unfulfilled career you could, you could, which is a little bit of a harsh word to use, but like you said, yeah, a strange, strange career. Um, yeah, you often look at those um, players who actually go on and obviously win absolutely everything from you know, in cups to you know World Cups and league titles, and yet still sometimes think, well, what could have been? What could have been? I mean, not don't you know, I'm not comparing them as a player, but you know, someone looking like an, an Elka in terms of people always look at that in terms of oh, you know, unfulfilled potential. Whereas actually, you know, you obviously kind of won everything in the game there was to win, and and actually had a great career. But you still look at some players, whether that be for injury or the course that the career takes from moves, and you think. Oh, you know, that, that could have been more. But I think Ronaldo, yeah, was the standout from the competition. We kind of knew that was going to happen. What we found really interesting was the the makeup of the final four. Um, Andrew alluded to the fact that, you know, slightly different uh, makeup of strikers there, you know, in terms of probably Ronaldo. And then I think one of the reasons his legacy is so strong is because he's kind of the you know, pace, power, the all-round player that, you know, sort of players and footballers and strikers became today versus a couple of real good poacher finishes there. Um, you know, in you know the out and out nines, which I guess leads us nicely onto a conversation of the evolution of the nine, doesn't it, Andrew? Yeah, definitely. I mean, out, out of those four, you'd say Batistuta and Romario, very cl- known for their clinical finishing, different types of finishing. Um, with Batistuta's bullet finishes, comp- compilations can go on and on and on. But Burkamp makes up that final four, Michael, more of a magician in a, in a, in a ten role, really. Um, how, how have you seen the striker role? change in that great decade that we had littered with fantastic strikers I mean all of them great for YouTube um, to now where it seems a more multifaceted role yeah definitely I think that the main thing really has been the increased emphasis on on link play and coming short and getting involved in the midfield battle and obviously you know maybe 10 12 years ago now people started talking about the false nine and how that was almost a different position from being a number nine um and I think now what you see is you, you see a kind of blend. You know, I think a lot of um, a lot of the strikers who've, who've kind of top scored in the Premier League over the last seven or eight years, they often started as number 10s and became a number nine. So, I mean, someone like Van Persie, I'd say, would be a classic example. Mm-hmm. People who saw the end of his career probably just think of him as pure finisher. Whereas, you know, in his early days at Arsenal, he was, yeah, kind of considered more of a Burkamp than an Henri in terms of where he was going to come into the side. And you can say the same for um, for Guerra when he, you know, came to Europe. He considered himself a number ten. Um, Luis Suarez was was not a number nine when he arrived at Liverpool. He was kind of playing on the right for Ajax. So, yeah, you see someone like I don't know Harry Kane. Obviously, is is kind of blending the nine and the ten positions quite well. Firmino, I think, has been an interesting one because he's very obviously a number 10 who has become a number nine and you can still kind of see it. I mean, he's he's never been prolific. Um, so, yeah, I'd say there's been a kind of a fusion of those two positions. People talk about, you know, the death of the classic number 10, which compared to the 90s is probably true. But, yeah, they probably have um, 
the legacy is probably in, in a lot of the strikers we see today. And when you go back to the 90s and you see, um, you know, someone like Robbie Fowler, for example, I don't really see an equivalent of him in the Mongolia, like a pure finisher. And he had other elements to his game as well, but he, he wasn't coming short in linking play. He was, he was a pure finisher, really. So, yeah, it's, you know, if you were to do the same poll for the, the 2010s, I guess you'd get a slightly different breed of player. Even someone like Lewandowski, who yeah. is, you know, physically looks like a pure number nine. His link play is so good. And, and for Poland as well, he's played as a number 10 more than number nine. So, yeah, I think the top class players now, Ibrahimovic as well, have always been, well, for the last 10 years, have always been somewhere between a number nine and number 10, I'd say. Possibly as well in terms of the managerial revolution as well, you know, like how coaches have evolved over the years and the strikers used to be a point of reference for their side. And now you've got the, the more collective approach you were alluding to there. You've got the, the the wide wingers that are like the wide strikers now with Sterling, Mane, Salah. I mean, if someone said to me, who's the best striker in the league? You, you, you could start mentioning those names, couldn't you? But even though they're not, a num- they're not necessarily a, a number nine. And I guess it's why like someone like Giroud at the moment, who's being lauded, because when you're struggling a team tends to look to the bench and think we need that point of reference, you know, and and there's always going to be room for that, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's a really interesting thing, the kind of the backup striker role, because, you know, I, I think to be, most top clubs do need that. They need someone like that who can come off the bench and provide a different option. Um, you know, even Liverpool, Divock Origi's done that really well for two or three years. I, I've never, I don't think anyone's ever really thought Origi is a, a player who's going to start for Liverpool, but he's been been great from the bench. And I think you need the you need the technical and physical attributes to to play that role. But you've also got to be almost the right status, you know, in terms of people often say with Tottenham, for example, they need a kind of alternative to Harry Kane. But it's never going to be a world class striker if he's sitting on the bench seventy five percent of the game. So you need someone like Giroud, who I guess is you know he doesn't like the role, but he's almost come to accept the fact that he's a plan B and Tottenham had Urente, who I thought did that quite well, just came on for the last 10 or 15 minutes and, and could provide a penalty box threat. So yeah. yeah, I guess a lot of those old school strikers, you know, proper number nines have, have almost become a, an alternative option rather yeah. than, you know, Pivotal. default. Yeah. Although Giroud, I think is, I mean, he's an interesting one because his link plays really good. And I think he's, you know, when we talk about false nine, we think of someone who, who comes deep in links play and, in a way, I think Giroud does that. You know, he's not he's not going to fill in as an extra midfielder, but he's not running in behind, really. Mm. So he is... I thought he was a funny one at Arsenal because, in a way, he was different from the kind of striker Arsenal had, had had. But in a way, he was a bit too similar to actually some of their other creative players. For example, I never thought him and Ozil played particularly well because I thought Ozil wanted someone to play through balls onto. And I thought Giroud wanted someone running off the mm. back of him and going in behind. So... Although Ozil and, and Giroud are completely different players in terms of their positions, I thought they were often doing a similar kind of job in a way. Yeah, I, I, yeah as an Arsenal fan, I yeah, see that. And I think Giroud's an example of a half a yard of pace short and, and a few missed chances from being absolutely elite because I think you're, you're right, he does more than just become a target man, but equally he's probably just lacking slightly from that role. So he's probably found himself as a bit of a mixed match, but as you say, he probably found a home in, in that second striker role. I wonder whether... Um, you know, if you go back, well, however long you want to, a striker's role is to score goals. Everyone knows that. And if they're scoring goals, they're doing their job. What happened, obviously, in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, and still, still on to today, is obviously when the birth of Messi and Ronaldo happened, you actually had people who would 
not necessarily and obviously they kind of moved that way towards the end of their careers um but clearly weren't out and out strikers yet still putting up the numbers clearly numbers that people had never seen before let alone a striker's numbers and so i think that change emphasis that like, oh actually the, the person who gets your goals doesn't have to be Gary Lineker on the six-yard line. It doesn't have to be someone who just hangs in the box. It can yeah. actually be someone who's doing, yeah, can do can do everything. And obviously, it's a bit unfair because no one can do what those two have done. However, I think that's played a part in elevating the game of so many of those wide forwards that we've seen. Um, but what's really interesting for me is the impact that has, because it's your focal point. You don't win games without scoring goals. That's obvious. Um, the impact that has on other positions, you could argue as well. We, Andrew and I were lamenting sort of the lack of the, the classic winger now. You know, we, I, you know, growing up, a winger was one of your favourite players to see and watch football because, you know, it's beat a man, get to the byline line and, and, and cross. And that, that kind of slightly died as well. And actually, again, they become wide forwards rather than byline crosses. And for me, that's one of the, you know, because I know we were harping back to the 90s a lot, but even a lot of the players that you'd see there, like a, like a Keith Gillespie, no one's going to remember how good Keith Gillespie was. You know, we're not talking, yeah. we're not be talking careful, world Tom. elite here. Be careful, yeah, but but you know someone like that, I really used to enjoy watching that that kind of player, and that in you could argue that Damien Duff out of the game as well. You know, Duff, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, when I was playing um, Saturday morning football as a kid, as a teenager, I was a you know I was a right wing. I basically I had a turn of speed and I could cross, and that that made me quite a useful player. Do you know what I mean? Whereas I don't play eleven aside much these days, but when I have done. A couple of times in recent years, you just feel stupid doing that. You just feel stupid going down the line and trying to cross it because just teams don't do that anymore at the highest level. And even at you know Sunday League, I think the games really changed slightly. But no, you're right. I, I I used to like really. I mean, what I like is players who are quite quite specific to their role. I, I mean, the, the kind of there's been a shift towards attackers who are complete all rounders. You know, players who can who can link play, who can dribble, who can pass, who can score goals, and I think players are more interchangeable probably than ever. Um, whereas I quite like it when you've just got a player, a bit like Giroud in in a different way, who just has a, a couple of very obvious strengths and a couple of real obvious weaknesses. Because I just think it makes it more more interesting in a way. I quite like watching. I never really rated him as a player, but I quite liked when Man United had Valencia as a right winger, just because he could only do that thing and you knew exactly what the tactical battle was going to be in that part of the pitch. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I, I think there's there's been a, probably a bit too much of a shift towards attackers becoming kind of multi-dimensional, which, of course, when you have someone like Eden Hazard, is, is obviously a joy to watch. But mm-hmm. uh, I think you can end up with kind of identical players, which doesn't always make for particularly interesting viewing. Yeah, and probably what we're touching on here is the athleticism that's evolved as well in players. You know, their physique, their their sort of the speed, the pace, the agility has moved on so much, hasn't it, Michael? And you know, back back in the day, and that we look back to the nineties and the great number nines. I mean, I'm thinking of someone like Pipo and Zaghi, who'd probably get a lot of goals chalked off with VAR now. But but um, and also maybe it is the the video element where we do hop back and then see clips and think, oh, that's what they used to do and. Pipo was a was a finisher in the in the six yard box, and now that these players are so athletic, that coaches are looking at them and going, you know what? I think I can play you as an eight, or I can play you as a wide ten, or you know, it's it's that, isn't it, as well, really? Yes, I mean, you do, you do get players who they almost could play in the front three, and they could play in the number eight role. I mean, Kai Havertz is an interesting one because I didn't see that much of in the in the Bundesliga. Just, just 
didn't see many Leverkusen matches, but he came in, people talking about him, oh, is he going to be number 10? Then I think there was one match they played him as a false nine against, was it Liverpool? I can't remember who he played. One of yeah, the games he played up front. Yeah, yeah, Liverpool. Yeah. And then I think he's played on the right. And then against Leeds yesterday, he played as a number eight. Um, I haven't seen him play that well yet. I'm sure it'll come good. But yeah, he seems like a classic example of a player. I mean, if you can play number 10 and up front and on the right and central midfield and your job is, or your ideal role is probably somewhere between the four of them, that seems to me a good example of just, you know, like we, we talked about, the, the modern attacker who, who can play anywhere but doesn't necessarily have a, a specific role. Um, and yeah, I think sometimes if you end up with four Kai Havertz's, it's not, it's not always that interesting, you know, to watch from a tactical perspective is, is obviously I do. I, I, if you have a couple of players like that, great. But I do quite like players who are just straightforward and they, they do certain things well. I quite like, I mean, going back to Arsenal, I quite like when Walcott was there because Arsenal had so many players just between the lines, you know, Fabregas and Nazri and Arshavin and Rizitsky and whoever else was there. And he just gave a different option. And I think, you know, I've, I've read a couple of quite interesting, well, I've actually seen an interesting presentation at this Opta Forum they have every year where people present kind of analytics ideas. And there's some quite interesting data on, you know, you need different types of attacking threat for it to become more dangerous. I know it sounds obvious, but there was a really great presentation I saw once where they were saying, okay, look, crossing isn't a particularly valuable form of attacking. But if you do have a crossing threat, then actually your players who can play through balls can then do it more effectively because the opposition have caught off guard and maybe they're stretched and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I just think you need a variety of, of players, a variety of threats in your team to be a really good all-round attacking force. I think that's really fair. And and what will happen is, <clears throat> and, you, and I think you saw it a little bit around from, from 2009 to about 2015, 16, is that actually when you become that identikit, everyone going into the, to the same mode, actually, unless you're the very best at that, you can't ever, you can't ever succeed. And actually, it's nice to see two different styles go head to head. Again, you know, not to mention it, but as an Arsenal fan, you know, that Barcelona team, that team that sort of dominated football, probably one of the best teams ever, if not the best team ever, that sort of 2009 to sort of 13, so in that 2011 team that tore Manchester United apart in the Champions League final. But we became an identical of that, but obviously just not as good, just not as good. And that's, mm -hmm. so therefore you'd fall down. And what I really miss, and you still like to see it, is actually when you see a, two opposing styles go up to, against each other, you're not necessarily talking about, well, who's the best technical footballer they're going to win today. Actually, there's there's different elements to it. And I'm a big believer in that football goes in cycles. And actually, what will probably happen is that there'll, you know, there'll be emergence of number nine, you know, look at Haaland, you know, potentially people like that who will come again and teams will find us a, a way to win big trophies, maybe on the European stage with that style. And then suddenly everyone's in a race, a race to arms to copy that. And then we'll go back to hopefully the big man, little man, number 10, flicking it on, you know, Niall Quinn, Kevin Phillips, it's going to happen again. You know, they're going to come out of retirement and it's going to happen again, yeah. return again. I, I think that's Proud what could happen. And it's probably the, the, the two or three seasons when when that shift is happening, which are the most interesting ones, because then you you know before it gets to that plateau where everyone's kind of copying each other, when there's a bit of a change at the top level about lining up against each other, and you know we might see that again. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I prefer when there's different styles, and and not even just you know at the top in terms of who's winning the European Cup, but I, I just like the fact that there's a Burnley in the Premier League. I, I wouldn't want to watch them every week, or even every month, really. But you know, I. Think think there's a, there's a kind of twice a year challenge 
for a side like City or Liverpool, I just think it's interesting to see when they go away uh, to Turf Moor and they've got to do different things and there's different challenges. And yeah, I still think there's a place for that style of football. And I'd, I'd actually quite like to see Dyche with a bigger budget and, and a slightly better team and just trying to, I'd love to see, it doesn't have to be Dyche, but I'd love to see someone just trying to play Burnley style football with slightly better players, you know, like Everton level players, obviously who, who are right for the system. Atletico Madrid maybe, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. just play a couple of proper crosses. Like Calvert-Lewin and, in fact, Calvert-Lewin and Richardson probably do it quite well. But if you were to just play more straightforward, get down the line and cross, how well would they do? I don't know. But it's those kind of things that I do quite like seeing rather yeah. than just everyone trying to be, yeah. you know, the next the next Guardiola and the next Klopp. I just think it's more interesting that way. And, and that's why stylistically Leeds are just be, uh, uh, in the press at the moment, aren't they? Because everyone's just loving watching Leeds play. I just... I wasn't. To be honest, at the beginning of the season, I thought, oh, you know, that they might, they might just sort of just about stay up. But they're mid, mid, mid table, and I actually made an effort to start watching more of their games, and I've been so impressed. Mm. Um, just really enjoyable to watch, and against the big sides, they just toe to toe, they go for it. That that City game actually early on in the season was one of the best games I've seen over the last year, actually in the Premier League. And against Liverpool um, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, both. Of, yeah, even Chelsea last night, they were quite yeah. a good first half. I thought, yeah, the City one in particular was. I mean, first half, well, first half out, City would blew them away. And then Leeds, by the end of the game, I couldn't believe that they hadn't won it. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. They're they're a great example of a side who just play completely differently to everyone else. And like you say, just makes it more interesting, I think, for everyone. Yeah, definitely. No, it's been fantastic, Michael. We've gone off on a bit of a tangent, but who, we we love a bit of a tangent on HTO. So, <laughs> really? um, but yeah, we've and obviously delighted to announce as well that Michael will be supporting our Willow Foundation fundraiser this month by giving away a signed copy of Zonal Marking. Uh, we've run a competition before for the same book. It's a fantastic read. Um, we don't need to obviously plug it because it's just it's a it's a, plugs itself. Exactly. Plugs itself. Exactly. It's that good. Mm. But, it's that no, good. Give a listen. Thanks again, Michael, and. Um, yeah, just really appreciate that. Uh, yeah, no problem. No, I enjoyed the chat. And um, yeah, good good charity as well. When you mentioned that, I was keen to get involved. So uh, yeah, no, thanks for having me. Thanks Much appreciated. Thanks again to both Paddy and Michael for dropping by at HTO Football for that nostalgic episode on all things 90s football. Head over to our Twitter page at HTO Football for all the details on how to donate to our festive fundraiser for the Willow Foundation. All donators are entered into a prize draw where giveaways include the mentioned 90s mug and a signed copy of Zonal Marking by Michael Cox. We're also running a public auction on eBay for a signed goalkeeper glove by a few former stars including Bob Wilson and David Seaman. Thanks for listening guys and take care. Hold up. 